Let's pray. Guide us, O oh God, by your word and by your spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Pour out your spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be opened. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture for this morning, uh, well, first following our scripture, we'll have a brief moment of silence. But our scripture for this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. Listen now for the word of the Lord. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he declared, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today's scripture that we've just read from is a call story. It's a story of the calling of two of Jesus' disciples. And these call stories come at the same time every year. So if you follow the lectionary, um, the lectionary is the, uh, I guess, what the church puts out, the, um, all of the Reformed congregations, of passages to follow throughout the year to guide us in what we can preach on. Sometimes we'll take a step away from that and we'll do sermon series on different books or different topics, but the lectionary keeps us rooted in certain stories in the Bible. And every year at this time, we have the opportunity to look at call stories. And I love it because, I don't know about you, but when Christmas is over and the new year is over, there seems to be this letdown, right? All your decorations get put away, and so January gets a really bad rap. It's not green outside, the decorations are gone, all the excitement of the parties and festivities and the new birth of Jesus, it's all done. And we have January. And we do have Epiphany. But that's almost an afterthought in the church sometimes. Um, Sometimes we talk about it. Sometimes we go right to the baptism of Jesus. Um, And and frankly, the wise men often get talked about at Christmas. So then you're in January like, why are you talking about the wise men again? So it's almost an afterthought. But the story of a calling is the story of a new beginning. So when you enter this new year, even though January seems a little bit drab, 
it is a new year. It is a new beginning. And so when you look at the, sto- at the idea of a call, it is a new and exciting opportunity for the future, no matter what the call is. Pastors are called to a congregation. Um, and every year that call is renewed or, you know, if you look at the terms of that. But when you are called to a congregation, it's because you're going to a new place. You can be called to a new job. You can be called to a new city. Um, Jesus places calls upon our life. And so a call story signals new beginnings. And here in our story, this new beginning for these two disciples is that they get to meet Jesus, the Messiah for whom they were waiting. It is a new age of grace and redemption, something that we had, that they had never seen before. They worshiped God. They were disciples of John the Baptist. Uh, but this was something new, something exciting. So John covers in this one call story the complexity of who Jesus was and is and what he came to do. And he also shows us how two soon-to-be disciples respond to that call and that coming from Jesus. So I'm going to walk through the scripture a little bit. Um, We're going to go part by part. I'm going to break it into three parts. So the first part that I want to look at is uh, from verses 43 to uh, 46. So first you've got Jesus talking to Philip. Jesus comes to Bethsaida and he says to Philip, follow me. It's the first person he finds. And it's an imperative statement. It is a command. It is an instruction. Follow me. It's not a, oh, would you like to follow me? Would you like to do this? Follow me. Imperative. Commanding. And what does Philip do? He immediately goes and finds Nathaniel. He says, oh, I'm going to get my friend. And we're not told much about Philip other than where he's from and he is from the same place as Andrew and Peter. And their call story came in the verses before. I've preached on that one before. This is the first time I've preached on this one. Um, So he's friends with them. There's a lot happening in this little town in Galilee. And there's a simplicity in this. He goes to Philip. He says, follow me. No questions are asked. No statements are even made. Philip just goes. And he gets his friend Nathaniel. He answers the call very simply and very readily. And then... We have Nathaniel. So Philip goes to Nathaniel, and him we learn a little bit more about in this scripture. So we know he's a friend of Philip since Philip found him very easily and wanted to include him in meeting Jesus. We know that he studied the law. Uh, both of them really did, Nathaniel and Philip. Uh, Philip points to the fulfillment of scripture to tell Nathaniel about Jesus. And not everybody would necessarily do that if they're not familiar with scripture. So You know, when you tell people about God, when you tell people about Jesus, you tell them from a vantage point that they're going to understand. So the fact that he uses Old Testament, he uses scripture to tell him this is who this man is, points to the fact that Philip did indeed study some scripture. And we know that Nathaniel was an ordinary man, but because he studied scripture, we know he was passionate about the coming of the Messiah, and he longed to know more about God. Now, if you've watched season two of The Chosen, which apparently the men are going to be starting on Wednesday, uh, one of the episodes actually covers this scene. And, <clears throat> and it shows him studying under the tree 
and wanting to, he's begging God, come to me, I want to know more about you. And, and I just think it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And we know, so we know more about Philip because of the way that, or more about Nathaniel because of the way that Philip is presenting Jesus to him. Now, there's some other things we don't know but have been ascertained about over the years. Um, you might, if you were to go through the list of the disciples in your head, if you look at the Gospels, you're not going to find the name Nathaniel. But you will find the name Bartholomew. And it is thought that Nathaniel Bartholomew is the same person. And um, that's because Nathaniel is his first name and Bartholomew is his last name um, that identifies him as the son of his father. So that's just a fun little side note. Uh, but we do know that they are fishermen probably from the same, he's probably a fisherman from the same area. They're all buddies. They all fish because after Jesus comes later, they all go fishing with Jesus. And Nathaniel's response is not so immediate, right? Well, it's immediate, but it's not in the affirmative. He says, Nazareth, who, what good can come from Nazareth? So Philip says, yes, sir, I'm following you. And Nathaniel's like, really, Nazareth? Because that's from a different area and not held as in high esteem. So Philip presents him, but Philip presents him as the son of Joseph. And that is how, so that's a distinction in this first section. That's how he would be viewed by the Jew, Jewish people, son of the dad. So you've got Nathaniel Bartholomew, you've got Jesus, who is the son of Joseph, and again, points to scripture and points to the human origin of who Jesus is in this area at this time. And then, so Nathaniel says, I don't know about this. But Philip, once again, is very simple in his response. His is an imperative. His is a command. He says, come and see. And so he does. Right? What do you have to lose? So Nathaniel follows Philip to go meet Jesus. He does indeed go and see. In the second part of the scripture is when we have Nathaniel meeting Jesus. And again, Nathaniel's uncertain at first. He's still not sure what he's going to see, but Philip's his good buddy, so he's going to go along with it. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. What a very strange way to greet somebody. Can you imagine if you're meeting somebody for the first time and you identify, they identify you by a character trait? <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, hey, I, I've heard about you. You're the one who likes to dance in the streets or, you know, I mean, what? How about just hi? Or, well, I don't know. <laughs> it's a very strange way. But there's a reason for that. So John is presenting Nathaniel in contrast to Jacob, who was a trickster. He was a deceiver. Jacob, who was the patriarch, is a patriarch of Israel, and he was known for being a trickster. But he becomes the patriarch of Israel. Nathaniel, in contrast, Jesus comes to see him and he says, You're not a trickster. You are genuine. You are authentic. You are open to the word of God. And that is why he was so willing to go and to see when his friend Philip brings him to Jesus. So there's some connection between what's happening here in the New Testament at that time and what happened in the Old Testament, his comparisons to Jacob. And Nathaniel's still not quite convinced, right? Because 
it was a weird way, way to greet somebody. <laughs> he says, how do you know me? Right? You're, you're telling me you know something about me. How do you know me? He's still uncertain. And so Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, the importance of this, in my opinion, is twofold. So first of all, the fig tree is common outside of the homes in Israel. The people, the men particularly, would go out and sit, they would meditate and they would pray under the trees, under the shade trees. But the other thing is that fig trees symbolize wisdom and knowledge and security. We know that Nathaniel studied scripture. We know that Nathaniel wanted to know God and he wanted to meet the Messiah. And so that fig tree was a symbol not only of a location where Nathaniel was seen, but also of his wanting to know more, right? The fig tree, the knowledge, the wisdom. And Jesus' supernatural power of seeing him when he wasn't actually walking by was an act of self-revelation. Nathaniel's response could be only one thing, a confession in who Jesus was. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. It moves Jesus from the human origin, son of Joseph, to a supernatural nature, identification as son of God. It was confession in who Jesus was, not just this man from Nazareth, but truly the son of God, who can see, who can know, and who can be known. Now the third section is another nod to Jacob. So in the third section it says, um, it talks about the heavens being opened, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And that's a nod to the dream that Jacob had of the stairs with angels ascending and descending. And it is another nod to a fulfillment of something from the Old Testament. Jacob dreamt, but Nathaniel gets to see. Jesus is the staircase. Jesus is the bridge going from the heavens to man. Jesus is the Son of Man. Now, sometimes people think Son of Man is just a um, looking at the identification of him as a human, but it is, a, is actually identifying him as the, art, the incarnated God, bringing heaven to earth. Um, it was talked about in the book of Daniel, and it's God's revelation to humankind. So that's a lot of facts. Um, John doesn't just give us facts, and I'm going to go into that in a second. But he talks, so he talked about who Jesus was and is and his own disciples responding to meeting him. But we also learn what our response is supposed to be. So in John, we have meat, we have depth, we have theology. And some people get lost when we start talking about theology. But the important thing to remember is that information is meant to be used. It's meant to inform us. So it's not facts for facts' sake. It is looking at the Old Testament, looking at the New Testament, and seeing what they truly mean and how that informs how we live. The Bible, Scripture, is, living, is the living word for all of us in all times. As believers who confess that Jesus is who John tells us, the incarnate God who revealed himself to the world to draw us closer to him, Christ calls to us, just as he called to Philip, just as he called to Nathaniel, 
follow me. And each day he gives us the opportunity to do just that. So if you've heard me preach before, you may know that I like somebody named Bob Goff. And I had, <laughs> I had, I had vowed I was going to stop using him as a sermon illustration, but sometimes it's just too good. So I'm going to read an excerpt from his book from Love Does. He says, We get to decide each time whether we will lean in toward what is unfolding and say yes or back away. The folks who were following Jesus in Galilee got to decide the same thing each day because there was no roadmap, no program, and no certainty. All they had was this person, an idea, and an invitation to come and see. You know what it is about someone who makes them a friend? A friend doesn't just say things. A friend does. There is only one invitation it would kill me to refuse, yet I'm tempted to turn it down all the time. I get the invitation every morning when I wake up to actually live a life of complete engagement, a life of whimsy, a life where love does. It doesn't come in an envelope. It's ushered in by a sunrise, the sound of a bird, or the smell of coffee drifting lazily from the kitchen. It's the invitation to actually live, to fully participate in this amazing life for one more day. Nobody turns down an invitation to the White House, but I've seen plenty of people turn down an invitation to fully live. I think every day God sends us an invitation to live, and sometimes we forget to show up, or we get head faked into thinking we really haven't been invited. But you see, we have been invited every day, all over again. Impediments that we believe disqualify us don't. When we show up to participate with Jesus in the big life, we're participating with the very being who made life in the first place. He gently asks us how we are and invites us to get better together with him. Accepting the invitation to show up in life is about moving from the bleachers to the field. It's moving from developing opinions to developing options. It's about having things that matter to us enough that we stop just thinking about those things and actually do something about them. Simply put, Jesus is looking for us to accept the invitation to participate. Jesus invited Philip to participate, and he followed. Jesus invited Nathaniel to participate, and he followed. And then Jesus invites you to participate. So what are you going to do? When Nathanael confessed that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, the King of Israel, Jesus told him that it was only the beginning. Confessing in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, believing in him as our true Savior is not the end. That's not the goal. It is a beautiful start to a new life in Christ. It is the beginning of participation in the fullness of Christ. When you came to believe, whether it was as a child, as an adult coming to church for the first time or the 50th time, or right now as you hear these words, that was is only the beginning. There are three things that stood out to me um, within this whole scripture passage and this call story, uh, besides the theology, obviously. Number one is that Jesus saw Nathaniel. The idea of being seen. The thing that convinced Nathaniel, convinced him, it didn't take a whole lot. The thing that convinced Nathaniel was that Jesus saw him under the fig tree. 
Jesus was not casually walking by and saw him with his eyes. That wouldn't have been surprising. That wouldn't have been supernatural. And it wouldn't have had the effect that it had. Who cares if you saw me while you were walking by? That's not what happened. Jesus didn't see him walking by. Jesus saw him because he's the son of man. He saw him from on high because he is God incarnate. But also, he didn't just see him under a fig tree. He saw his heart. He saw him. What does it mean to be seen? To be seen is to have a genuine and fulfilling connection with another person. To be seen is to feel recognized, accepted, acknowledged. When I think about that, I think about um, something we learn about active listening. You all ever learn about how to active listen? We learned that in seminary. When you actively listen to somebody, you are paying attention to them. You're taking an interest in what they have to say, an undivided attention. And you're hearing that person. You are seeing into their heart because you're truly engaging with them. And I think about when Jesus said, I saw you under that fig tree, what that truly meant to Nathaniel. That Nathaniel was truly seen by Jesus. He was acknowledged, he was recognized that Jesus knew his heart and knew for the very core how much more he wanted to know God and how much he wanted to meet the Messiah. Wherever you are, whatever fig tree that you are under, Jesus sees you. We're all in different places, right? And we're not, again, talking locationally about your shaded tree outside of your house, although you can go and pray and study outside of your house if you'd like to. We are all in different places in our knowledge about who God is, about who Jesus is and what he's doing in our lives. We're all in different stages of our faith journey, and that is your fig tree. Your fig tree is where you are in your faith journey. So I don't know if you all follow rappers and famous people, but there have been some people in the headlines lately um, that I'd like to just tell you a little bit about because I think they're very um, special stories. So Shia LaBeouf, um, do you all know who Shia LaBeouf is? Okay, so he was even Stevens, he was in the movie Holes, and he was in Transformers. That covers a large number of years, so hopefully you know who he is. But he's an actor, and um, he was an actor from childhood. And in more recent years, he has become addicted to alcohol. He has been in trouble because of that for violence. Um, just a lot of bad stuff. And currently he, is, um, he has been on a movie set working on a movie set about a Catholic priest. And through this process, he has decided to come back to God. Uh, in this whole thing, he was born Jewish. He became Buddhist at some point, And now he is um, going to be Catholic. And so it's just an, it's an amazing story of transformation because here he was on a movie set. And Jesus said, come follow me. That was where he was in his life. Then you have somebody like, uh, well, there's two rappers, <laughs> Jelly Roll and John Gabbana. 
And um, I'll admit I didn't know who John Gabbana is. Uh, Thomas had to tell me about him. So Jelly Roll has been a rapper. He has been in and out of prison most of his life, from I think the age of 14. And he grew up going to a Baptist church, but then he got into just all kinds of crime, spent all this time in prison. Uh, when he got out of prison, he found out he had a daughter, and uh, he and his wife took her in. And the same age that he was baptized, his daughter said, I want to be baptized. Come to church with me. And he was, he was skeptical, right? Because what does the church tell you typically when you're doing things that you're not supposed to be doing, right? Uh, a lot of people would say that they don't feel welcome. And so Jelly Roll didn't feel welcome. He thought that all the stuff that he learned about when he was a child meant he shouldn't be there. And so his daughter brought him. He said, I did every, anything a good dad would do, and I went to church with her because that's what she wanted me to do. And, and guess what he did? He found Jesus again. And he is no longer rapping, and now he is a country artist and uh, has put out this beautiful album about his journey from church to crime to salvation again. And he still is going to have problems with, with church, right, because of his experiences. But he doesn't have a problem with God, and he doesn't have a problem with Jesus. And those are different things. And that's where he is. That is his fig tree. We're all in a different stage of our journeys. And they're not all, all going to look the same. We're not all going to feel the same or believe exactly the same things at exactly the right times. But it is a beautiful journey where God takes us where we are, even if it's in prison, even if it's just going to church because your daughter wants you to. And he can take you and he can say, follow me. Come and see what can happen. And then John Gabbana has a very similar story, but without the daughter. He was in prison and he, was, uh, he had somebody who was telling him about God. And he said he always knew that God existed. He believed in a God that created the world, the heavens, the earth, everything. He believed in that. But he didn't follow God. And again, those are two very different things. You can believe he exists and not do and not be a part of and not participate, right, in the life that God has for you. And John Gabbana, he was rapping. He was making these videos that were just kind of heinous things just to get attention, to pe get attention from the world, um, kind of like a TikTok star, I would say. And he has abandoned that, and now he is making Christian music. God met him where he was under his fig tree in prison, and he said, come and follow me. Wherever you are right now, in those seats, or wherever you're worshiping, you are seen by God. In your distress, in your joy, in your doubt, in your faith, in your mistakes, in your successes, you are seen. Jesus sees us. Our relationship with Jesus is not a superficial one but a supernatural one. He recognizes you, and he accepts you, and he genuinely loves you. He sees you, and he calls you. No matter where you are, 
Come and see. Follow me. He commands it because he wants you as a part of his life. And the third thing, so we had the have you seen, the, the being seen, we had the um, finding you wherever you are, and the third thing was that it's only the beginning. And I know I talked a little bit about that, but it's so potent because just as Scripture is, a li- is the living word, our faith is living. It is only the beginning. So I said I thought January was kind of a letdown and that Epiphany was almost an afterthought. Um, there's less activities. It's, it's just, it's kind of drear. But lately, um, some churches have been doing what they call star words. And we've been doing it for, in youth group for a couple of years now. Star words are meant to be words that we can pick out to guide us, just like the stars guided the wise men to find Jesus, to usher in that new age of grace and redemption and a new way of living. And you can do it two ways. You can blindly pick words out of a hat that um, I've predetermined to put in there. Um, So you can kind of do it, and you get assigned whatever word for the year that you pick. Or what we did this year is we used a word cloud in the shape of a star, and it had all these different little words, and you can look at it and meditate upon it, and you can pick the word from the word cloud that you think speaks most to you, the word that God would choose for your heart for the year. And so we're all at different starting points. So with this new year, with this epiphany, we can choose a word that can help us to live into this participation in the fullness of Christ in this new year. And so because everybody picks different words, it's going to look different to everybody. My word was possibility. And the possibility of what does God have, what opportunities does God have for me that I can live into, that I can use to grow closer to him, that I can use to to just spread the good news to the world and to be who he created me to be. Philip and Nathaniel were faithful servants, they were keen students, and they became bold witnesses of the Messiah. They went from ordinary men to extraordinary leaders. And God has always been in the business of using the ordinary to do amazing, world-changing things, right? He picks the people you least expect very often. And so you might be sitting here thinking, Maybe that's not me. Why would he pick me? I'm just me. I'm just ordinary. But you, too, can go from ordinary to extraordinary. Now, I know most of you, and I know you're already extraordinary, but we can all grow to be even more extraordinary, right? The possibilities are endless for us to grow and to do world-changing things. So are you up for the challenge? Are you under your fig tree praying about and knowing God better and ready to receive him and accept whatever purpose he has for you in this world, it doesn't have to be some big world-changing thing. Uh, One of my, the things I always say about Bob Goff is he must have a lot of money because he does super big things and it's very intimidating. But you don't have to do big world-changing things because small movements create ripples. Even small things change the world. We all start in a different place wherever you are. You start there. 
What possibilities await you today, tomorrow, and in this new year for you to participate more fully in the new life that Christ calls you to? If you think what you've experienced so far is something, God says, just wait. Because if you live into those possibilities, if you live into this call that Jesus has for you, it only gets better. Jesus says, do you believe? Because you will see greater things than these. To God be all the glory. Amen.